You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of these people, these men and women who lived before us, those who lived well, who died well, and who bring all that is good and true and beautiful in their lines into our lives as this great legacy that we have to draw on, to understand how to meet the challenges of our own time, to stop repeating the mistakes that have been made again and again and again by humanity, but to innovate and to change where that is needed and yet to draw forward those ancient practices that continue to help us to be better people. And I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to help us to do what must be done for those who are coming. And let us reach beyond our human ancestors even further to those who were here long before there was ever a human. I call out to all of the rest of life that is here, those even more ancient ancestors. I call out to life itself and its many, many forms to help us to remember our own true nature. And may we lean into that true nature to understand what is it that we bring to this great web of life and how can we bring it in a way that it's serves all life and that we are understood as a blessing in that great tapestry and to all of these ancestors and all their many forms we give great gratitude as they begin to gather around us here today and as they gather let us gather ourselves let's draw ourselves from wherever it is we might be however many places we are out multitasking here in the world and draw ourselves into our mind and take a breath and draw ourselves from our mind to our heart, from our heart to our belly. Let's take a moment and extend our awareness and our energy down to the earth and give thanks for this day. To give thanks for the wonder and the awe that is the fact of your life. Thanks for all that has been that has brought you to this moment, for all that is in this moment and all that will be. We give enormous gratitude to the earth for the wonder and generosity in her dreaming that all that needs to change in our time can be changed as long as we are breathing. And with great gratitude to the earth pouring out from our hearts, let us extend our energy down through all the layers of the earth, the very center of the earth and to connect ourselves there in gratitude to the earth for that energy that rises up into all that is life here on earth, into the abundance, into the beauty, into the challenges that make us the men and women we are meant to be. We give gratitude to the earth and all of those deep energies that draw their power from darkness, from stillness, from silence, and from peace. 
We reach deeply into these energies that nourish and restore and draw them up, up through all the layers of the earth into our body, drawing into ourselves restoration and rejuvenation and replenishment. We draw up all of the wisdom of the cosmos, of the manifestation so that we can learn to be here in form in a good way. We call these energies up to help us to learn to live in our physical body and live with our physical body on earth in reality and to know where we stand and what we stand for in life and to build our sense of home around what has heart and meaning and to open our door to those who are other than we are that we might be challenged by beliefs that are uncomfortable and not familiar to grow into better men and women. May we open our door to the others, set a place at our table for the other and may we together become better humans and we ask the energy of the earth in this way to help us to understand connection and interconnection relationship within ourself relationship with each other relationship with our environment and with the invisible world may we come to understand that we are one with all things and may we have a moment in each day connecting into that awareness and draw our right relationship with all things from that knowing that we are part of that great oneness And as we draw this earth energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind, let's extend our energy up and out the top of our head and into the sky above and move into the weather, whatever the sky holds for you, and out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos all the way up to the highest power of the universe by whatever name you know this power, name it. Whatever way you conceive of it, conceive of it. Connect yourself to it and it with you and begin to draw these energies down into yourself, into your day, into these proceedings. We call this energy in and we draw in from the radiant energies above, the essence energy of blessing to fill ourselves and may you extend blessing out to others. We draw in the energy of protection. May you draw this into yourself, to your family and extend out beyond those you are blood relations to and to protect those who need protection. As we call this energy in, let it restore our capacity for commitment and devotion and draw in the benevolence of our universe. We call this energy down for inspiration and illumination and may we open to the beneficence of this great all that is and call it into ourselves. Let it be within us, move down through us from head to heart to belly, all the way down to the center of the earth and in this way may we become the connection between earth and sky these two great legendary lovers those whose connection brings forth this world of form that we all experience and may this big love that they share awaken the spirit of your own heart and may the crucible of transformation that potential for change and transformation that lives within each one of us there in the heart May it come online and draw up the fiery passions of the belly and draw down the crystal clarity of the mind and let these very different energies come together in the heart and let there be a dynamic tension between them as they engage that gives birth to a third and most essential thing, which is some sense, some understanding, some memory, some feeling for why you are here. And may you find the courage in your own heart to do something in this day, large or small, to bring your gifts into manifestation in the world. And for the spirit help that we all have in great abundance to help us to do that, I give great thanks. 
may what needs to be said be said and what needs to be heard be heard here today and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. And I would like to thank Mary and Shane and Valerie and Lynn and all of the listeners who have been able to donate to the show. Why Shamanism Now is listener supported and it is because of your donations, um, large and small. They all go directly to keeping the show on the air and it's because of these donations that the show is still on the air. (laughs) It's still live every Tuesday and we now have close to 400 hours in the archives at whyshamanismnow.com, on iTunes and at co-creatornetwork.com. So I give thanks to those of you who can donate financially. There are always bills to be paid regardless. But I also want to give thanks to those of you that are not able to donate financially but support the show in other ways. Those of you that engage with the ideas in the show, that share them with others who need them, that bring them into your journey circles, that wrestle with the questions, wrestle with the ideas, send me new questions. Um, and really help us to understand how do we bring our shamanic practices into practical application in our everyday lives. And for all that you are doing to help me do this, I am deeply grateful. For those of you that do want to donate, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and scroll down, click the support button and scroll down and donate any amount, large or small. And for those of you that aren't comfortable doing that, you can always email me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And I'm happy to give you a regular address for a regular old fashioned check. It's fine with me. So today we have a new show in our War in the Soul series, and this one is called The Psychedelic Marine, and our guest today is Alex Seymour from the UK. Thank you, Alex, for joining us. Welcome. Thank you, Christina. It's a pleasure to be here. So for those of you who don't know, Alex um, has published a book that we're going to talk about today and and how that book leads us to new possibilities for um, healing from uh, the trauma of war and the the toll that it takes on the soul and particularly um, uh, issues like soul loss and PTSD. So Alex knows what he's talking about. <laughs> he has served um, in the Royal Marine Commandos, and for, you're going to explain to us uh, here in a minute, Alex, what that how that compares to the United States forces, so we understand what your experience is. Anyway, so. He was a Royal Marine Commando for six years and completed two tours of duty in active service. And then, for reasons he's going to have to explain to us, he returned 20 years later for more, um, being the oldest frontline commando in the Helmand province of Afghanistan. So after returning from this tour of duty, during um, which many extreme... um, losses occurred uh, men in his unit injury to his best friend um, Alex who was already familiar with entheogens um, traveled to the Amazon in search of a ceremony and a shaman who could help him um, to find uh, enough you know wrap this experience in enough sacred container to be able to draw some sort of meaning out of that experience and and this whole journey is in his new book, Psychedelic Marine, um, which tells this story. It's available at um, powells.com here in Portland and, of course, on amazon.com. Alex um, is a client director for a global computer company now and lives in Buckinghamshire, England. Um, I probably didn't say that right, but it's close enough. With his wife of 18 years and his two children. Um, We are not live today, but you are certainly welcome if you have any questions for Alex or me to email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org. 
So Alex, thank you again for joining us. Um, we do have a global audience. So can you put what being a Royal Marine Commando means in perspective for a global audience? What, what does that mean that you what we're doing? Yeah, sure. Um, and, and thank you for that, that lovely introduction. Uh, I, I, I was looking at the word um, Buckinghamshire and there's no easy way of saying that. So um, I think <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> it's, it's almost like a sentence in one word. It, it, all in it itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the Royal Marines, have, uh, they've got a, 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 a you know illustrious history that goes back over 350 years. And um, it was about the end of the, or towards the, the the middle of the Second World War, I believe that they changed from being the Navy's soldiers um, into uh, uh, commandos, which meant that they were specialists um, in um, endurance and, and raiding and operating in small units behind enemy lines. And so um, they made a change to their basic training whereby, um, you know, it, instead of going through normal infantry training and soldier training, you did that. But then there was a second phase at the end called the commando phase. And at the end of that, if you passed it successfully, you'd be awarded a green beret um, and, and had the opportunity to wear the, or the right to, to wear these flashes on your shoulders that say Royal Marine Commando. But it's a very, it's a very grueling course. I went through it um, at a very young age. I was 17. And uh, yeah, it, once you finish that, you, you know, you end up feeling like, uh, you know, you, you feel like um, omnipotent, like a titan, you know, if you do that and achieve that as a teenager, to, to tell you the truth. Um, and then there's opportunities for travel. And so, you know, I went on two tours of duty and active service in Northern Ireland. And, and as you rightly say, you know, I, I took a long time off um, after, you know, leaving after about five or six years, spent some time as a civilian and then went back for um, another tour of duty. Some might say sucker for punishment um, and this time back to Helmand in Afghanistan. And what were you thinking? <laughs> no, I mean, seriously, I mean, service is nothing to laugh at. So what what called you back? Yes. Uh, so I felt really compelled to, to go back for um, a couple of reasons. One, um, I was working in, in a corporate environment, um, you, know, in, you know, in business development for a global tech firm. And, you know, I'd been there for you know quite a number of years. And for some reason, you know, civilian life just wasn't as uh, attractive and exciting um, and as adventurous as the time I'd spent previously as formerly as a young man in the Royal Marines. And so, you know, I, I joined up as a reservist and, and just to kind of um, plug that gap, really, just to get my juices going. And, you know, sure enough, you know, within you know a few weeks of, of joining up, I was out in the United States Marine Corps uh, um, uh, Warfare Center out in uh, the Mountain Warfare Center out in, in Nevada, um, you know, was out, you know, um, you know, doing all kinds of soldiering exercises, and um, it was just very, very exciting. And 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 so they were basically desperate for blokes. It was around 2009, 2010, and we were approached as a unit by the ex uh, sergeant major of Four Five Commando, one of the units had been to, and he'd been to Afghanistan a couple of times. And he said, "Look, we're desperate for guys. Is there anyone that wants to volunteer?" Um, for the next tour of Af Afghanistan, and and I thought, well, you know, realistically, 
you know, there's an existential threat out there. You know, United States, our ally, and Britain, we've both been attacked. There's a, a serious, you know, awful problem out there that the world is trying to tackle, um, and that's you know, religious fundamentalism and extremism. Um, so I considered it kind of a, an existential threat, much like you know a lot of my you know, fellow Marines did as well. And so it, it, I was of the view that you know um, evil prevails when good men do nothing. And, and I just really wanted to make a difference, much like everybody else does. And so before I knew it, I was called back up on a one-year contract, and I was training with my old unit, 4-2 Commando, so I, I had the pleasure of going back there as the um, oldest Marine in the unit, where previously, you know, 20 years approximately or so, I was the youngest Marine. And then after six months of training with them, we were, you know, on a plane, on a chopper, out in the desert, uh, in the middle of Helmand province, you know, patrolling and uh, trying to fight the Taliban. And that's how it happened, really. And so was did you did you come home with something different this second time in terms of how it affected you to be engaged on that arena yes yeah i mean this time it was a lot more uh serious and emotionally impactful and uh traumatic really because we had seven seven guys in my unit were killed i had a best friend um whose name was jj and he was much younger than i was um but he was blown up and in a in a catastrophic incident um and injured very severely um with by a taliban ied and um so i knew after that that you know i i needed to spend some serious time uh on r and r and recovering and just focus on my own healing after that experience because it really is an, an extreme environment it's extreme on, on lots of different levels it is extreme heat you know it's we were there in the fighting season the height of summer 45 degrees celsius every single day you know what's that it's about 120 degrees fahrenheit day in day out um you know, you're carrying about 120 pounds worth of kit on every single patrol it's extreme in the sense that you don't really get any consistent sleep so much so you feel like there's a psychosis kicking in after a certain while because there's no days off um so you can literally work for for months on end you know where days of the week are meaningless because you're patrolling day and night and so there's a sense of groundhog day and you only get about four or five hours sleep at any one time if you're lucky because um you know you're isolated on your own little um, patrol base in a fort in the middle of nowhere and so you're completely you know with your own unit your surrounding support um, unit you, you're pretty much self-sufficient so um there's a tremendous um sense of uh you know you're on your own with your small team you're isolated and you just have to do what you need to survive and so all of your senses and perceptions are just completely on high alert you're, you're like an animal in the wild to to, to, to you know coin a phrase and so um Coming back from that, it was just absolutely, you know, exhausting because you know you're surrounded by, uh, you know, stress and danger, you know, with explosions and IEDs and gunshots, you know, um, you know for, for months on end. That you, you you need some kind of way to release all that and, mm -hmm. and heal and, and and become peaceful again, so that you can reintegrate um, properly uh, and healthily back into society, and so. 
um, yeah, I did come back very different from that tour than, than the other previous ones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it, was that just because of the nature of the engagement, the, the, the intensity and extre extremes of it and all the loss, I guess? It, 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 not just that, no. Um, I, I, I had an unusual experience before I actually rejoined up um, within the Marines. And uh, that was an experience I had with um, a, a psychedelic entheogen uh, called um, DMT, dimethyltryptamine. Uh -huh. And um, that was a very, very uh, powerful, life-changing experience for me. And um, what, you know, once I'd consumed that, for, for, for reasons I can go into, once I consumed that and had that experience, and it was only you know one or two occasions, it actually gave me a completely different viewpoint of of, of death and how I would approach uh, um, you know losing my life in the theatre of a war and 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 what I should do if I did recover and and come back. And so um, you know that was a that was an extremely profound experience for me. So what what. Um... What did bring you to inspire that experience prior to this second time that you went uh, to war, basically? Uh, are you talking about the DMT experience? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I was lucky enough to have a, a good friend that I'd known for many years. And um, you know, he just approached me. He knew I was um, you know, interested in, in, in psychedelics. And uh, he, he said, you know, I, I have got the opportunity you know, I'll be completely honest with you. This is this is you know this um, DMT experience is for the serious seeker. It's not something you should take lightly. You need to do your research, and so so I did for you know a month or so. I can't remember how how long it was. You know, I scoured the internet, read the book, the DMT Spirit Molecule by Dr. Rick Straussman, and um, and then we had the event itself. And you know, he was good enough to treat the event like a like a ceremony in itself, and so. You know, once I consumed uh, and taken in the, the vapor, all you need is, is uh, three hits on on a DMT pipe. I, I was quite literally shot out of my bed, uh, sorry, out of my body, it, it, into a um, into what I can only describe as another world. Another, it was like I was shooting through space extremely quickly um, with worlds and universes, literally popping out of existence and it, they looked like they, they were being born I was flying through at a thousand miles an hour but more importantly you know it felt like there was a presence there as well and I, I felt a sense of a strong sense of you know consciousness um, that I'd never felt before which was a, a um, you know a, a sense of uh, like a God consciousness and I wasn't a I wasn't a, a religious person up until that moment in fact I, would, I still wouldn't call myself a religious person but I wasn't a spiritual person. It literally was like flipping a switch that transformed me into, you know, an atheist or someone that doesn't believe in God, uh, or uh, to, into somebody into a spiritual being. Uh, and mm. and it, it met because it was like a life after death experience or an out of body experience that only lasted about two minutes. I was able to just come back from that and just be transformed. And I, I just thought. Wow, there there is life after death. I do get a sense of spirit. There's a sense of, you know, um, oneness uh, and lovingness and a God consciousness out there that I had no idea or had any perception existed until that moment. So it was life changing. Yeah. Mm, okay. 
And so you had that context going into Afghanistan. That's wow. correct. Yes. So yes. I so you weren't just 20 years older, but you had really been transformed um, at another level. Did, and I'm how did that influence your kind of perception about what you were doing or how, or just your not what you were doing, but just your experience of doing it? Well, I found it a great comfort because um, you know, if there's anybody that experiences stress, it's combat troops. And, and so to to go into that uh, arena and that environment and exist on a daily basis where, you know, even if the worst outcome happens, it's it's not as bad as you previously thought when you were a young man, because I had faith that there would be you know, uh, uh, this was not, uh, this would not be a, a, an end to my existence. And that my soul would go on to exist, you know, somewhere else. Um, and it was a real comfort because, um, you know, it takes away and eliminates so much of the fear that you would ordinarily have in, in a combat environment. And so, um, you know, I found it very helpful. I found that, you know, I wasn't constantly terrified. You know, there are times where, you know, you, you, you're quite frightened. But to tell you the truth, I was never really, really, you know, that frightened, you know, even when, you know, there were firefights around and everything, because, you know, I, I just knew I had this this grounding sense of comfort that no matter what, it's all going to be OK. Um, mm-hmm. And, the, you know, the only the only regret I have uh, um, or had at the time was not really a regret, but um it's kind of sad that I couldn't share this secret with any of my um, colleagues because, uh, you know, it's such a taboo subject within the military. And so they only appreciate, you know, two states of mind, you know, alert and asleep and, you know, any other type of consciousness, uh, certainly in a war environment is just completely unacceptable. And of course, you know, there's absolutely no way whilst I was there or anyone else, you know, would put, uh, you know, others lives in harm's way or, or, or you know, risk and compromising operational effectiveness by, you know, get being incapacitated in, in any way on any substance out there. Um, but, you know, I just felt like at the time it would have been nice to have been able to tell other guys that this this option exists um, yeah, so that they may also have less fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Compassionate. <coughs> okay. Okay. So because you have this previous context, you go to Afghanistan and come back with experiences um, that you didn't come back with before. And so, so you decided to reach out to ayahuasca for help, but you had enough sense in my opinion, you know, to know that you were looking for more ceremony, more, more ritual around what you were doing. So what, where did that wisdom come from? Well, I was looking for a a kind of um, a a closure and a kind of writer passage. And I'd always, you know, been, been seeking some kind of, uh, Rite of passage, and I and I felt like uh, you know, that doesn't really exist very much for, for young men in in our society today. You know, war war is one of them, um, but you know, other than you know, closing a big business deal or maybe uh, yeah, 
you know, winning a rugby tournament or um, you know, giving a best man speech, for example, you know, we don't get these kind of uh, massive rite of passage that say, you know, women have the opportunity to do with something like childbirth. So, you know, our option sometimes is to, okay, let's do something you know, extreme and some would say um, ridiculously uh, inappropriate and go to war. But I suppose that depends on the strength of your belief in the cause that you're um, championing. So you know, I wanted to maintain that focus on on ritual and, and rite of passage. Um, and so obviously I, I found out about the shamanic experience and, and what that can potentially grant people. And, you know, I was lucky enough to, to watch the BBC documentary that was called Tribe, watched by about 10 million people about 10 years ago. And it was actually presented by an ex-Royal Marines officer called Bruce Parry. And he experienced ayahuasca in a shamanic setting in in the South American jungle, and uh, it was you know it was a revelationary for him, and and I always remembered that, and so having done DMT and and you know the DMT being the kind of um, uh, base ingredient and the, the 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 common denominator within the plant brew ayahuasca, I I I, I was so drawn to go to the Amazon, because the last thing I needed was another beach holiday, to tell you the truth. So I thought, you know, I can grant myself this 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 gift of taking myself to the Amazon. If you do your research thoroughly, you can find a good ayahuasca retreat and just immerse yourself in this shamanic ritual setting uh, and and um, calling that the healing and the therapy and um, you know the, the um, elimination of any suffering that you've had through this ancient um, sacred ceremony that the Indians have enjoyed for for you know millennia. And so, specifically relative to being, you know, having come back from war, how did the ayahuasca engage with you relative to that? I mean, there 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 are documentaries about people, you know, dealing with cancer or you know various and sundry healing. Um, more physical healing issues, but you 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 were there asking for healing that were more of the heart and soul, really. And and so, can you can you share some of that? Yes, sure. But, so yeah. I mean, each 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 evening, you know, we would have a different ceremony, and um, I, I, I was involved in two uh, very very different ayahuasca. Um, experiences in terms of retreats. One was a conventional retreat um, in the conventional sense where you, you stay put static and this each ceremony would be led by, you know, master shaman in a, in a maloka, uh, I believe it's called, you know, round circular hut. And, you know, that would last for four or five hours and, 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 it, you'd, um, and you'd assimilate that experience. Uh, and then there was another one that I, uh, I went on following that a couple of weeks which is called the mythic voyage and to be honest with you without that experience it was that unique craziness uh, and weirdness and and beautiful incredible adventure that I had on the mythic voyage that actually compelled me to write the book so um that, that you know without that that there would there wouldn't have been a book to tell you the truth but the experiences i had um were were very different each ceremony but um relating it back to war i mean I just remember one experience, um, it was probably about the fifth or sixth ceremony, 
and I got a very, very strong sense of uh, a soul connection to my friend JJ, who was badly injured, who's you know recovered completely now. Uh, well, when I say completely, you know, he he has no PTSD. Um, he has physical um, injuries uh, that, that that you know will be with him forever. But um, you know, he's completely lucid, intelligent, and a good, sound character. And he's gone on from strength to strength, and he's built his own career now. Um, and uh, as a TV presenter, believe it or not, and um, but whilst under the influence of this ayahuasca, I just remember feeling so, so powerfully connected to him and to the guys that I served with. It, it was such a massive, strong sense of empathy. Uh, and, and it was almost like a, you know, a, a sixth sense was opening up in me, a new sixth sense, like new uh, neurons were being illuminated in my mind. And, and I got a sense of, of real compassion as well. Um, that I'd never ever had before. That I can only really describe as, as a, a feeling of holiness, and so um, you know, it was that kind of thing that that um, just uh, you know get, get, gave me real inspiration, and, and that's why I, I had to write about it. And there were many episodes like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Did you feel that when you came out of Afghanistan that you were dealing with PTSD kind of symptoms yourself? I think I was lucky enough uh, not to have the clinical form of, of PTSD. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, I, what I did have, um, there's no doubting it, was um, a, a, a lingering sense of, of fear which I needed to shake, you know, uh, and also anxiety because mm-hmm. I've just been in this uh, environment where, you know, you're you, you just l- looking over your shoulder constantly, you're looking at your feet to see if there's a buried device down there, looking at every you know, hole in the wall to see if somebody's taking a shot at you, literally taking ke- cover when, you know, there's gunshots. And so you're, you're in this um, wild state of mind. And, you know, I, I just needed to lose that anxiety as well. Uh, uh, and another thing I wanted to do was um, I wanted to come to terms with some things that happened in my childhood. I, you know, I had a, um, an up and down kind of childhood. I had three fathers, two stepfathers, and, and, and my real father left when I was a couple of years old. So I wanted to go you know, to the Amazon um, you know, and commune in, in a shamanic ceremony and just kind of make my peace with, with, with my fathers because um, that, was a, that was an important aspect of of the journey for me so it wasn't just uh you know ptsd anxiety related it was also stuff to do with my my childhood mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were, there, were there any particular moments where the shaman like directly intervened in your experience that that moved the process one way or another um uh, while Yes, I would say I would say there were there were many. Um, I mean, the first uh, location was a place called um, La Familia Medicina, which was led by a fantastic American guy who's been uh, who was an ex Wall Street guy, turned his back on that and uh, created this healing center with this amazing shamanic master, that you know, third generation guy. And I just remember on my, I think it was my second or third ceremony, he he sang um, an Icaro 
to me. And uh, Anikoro is, is, is one of the native songs that, you know, kind of calls in energies or spirits, whatever you want to call it, from, you know, luminal realms. And, and you know, he had such a powerful voice that, um, and he was standing right in front of me in this dark Maloka, and I was really hallucinating very, very powerfully on this um, ayahuasca potion that um, I could feel the vibrations of his voice as he was belting out this song, this Ikaro, like a human foghorn. And it literally, I, I felt like there was a transformation going on. And I felt so much love and reverence and, and all-consuming um, just power that had been put into me by the shaman, by this... Um, by the ayahuasca, that all I could do at that time during that particular ceremony was just get on my knees and put my hands together and clasp them in prayer and just bow my head. And I didn't even know what I was praying to. It was just such a sense of beauty and sanctity that I just thought, what on earth is going on? It was incredible. Um, so, so that was one experience. Um, another time, um, which was on, on this the second um, leg of the journey on, on the other retreat, which was the mythic voyage, um, I do remember a sense of um, a sense of because uh, you go into the ceremony saying, you know, I, I want an intention, and you know, I, one of the intentions that I took into that ceremony was, you know, show me how to trust. So you're asking, you know, ayahuasca or the spirit or. or you know, to, to, to help you with that goal as you focus and journey on it for, you know, three, four, five hours at a time. And, you know, I really wanted to, to, to learn how to trust again and, you know, not have anxiety. And, and I just got this bolt from out of nowhere, just like a laser beam straight into the top of my head. And it, it said without any question, it just said, have no fear, hmm. have no fear. That was it, you know, and it just kept going on and on and on. I just thought, this is a message I'm being sent here. This, uh, even if I wanted to ignore this, it would be it would be ludicrous to try and you know think of anything else. It, it just kept happening over and over again, and, and I realised only you know with some reflection afterwards and kind of meditating on on the experience the next day that I think that the message coming through then was don't have any fear for for for. for everything because obviously you need to proceed with you know some caution in, in life you know um, but it was about having no fear anymore now you've left Afghanistan you know take some comfort from that and just move on and that, that was the signal then and there for me to just take that experience and start to move on and rebuild my life mm -hmm. Well, I ask you this in part because one of the things that I'm noticing here in the United States, I think it's true in Europe as well, I'm not sure, but but that basically um, entheogens and plant hallucinogens in particular that, that traditionally have been offered in ritual and ceremony are being offered more and more widely. It's easier and easier to get at. It's certainly more so than when I started 30 years ago. Anyway, but I have, for example, my point is I, I had... Um, I had this experience of being invited to see this lovely documentary called Little Saints, which is um, a documentary of um, six men and women who travel from the United States to Mexico with Oliver Quintanilla. Um, and they work with this extraordinary shaman named Natalia who works with um, psilocybin mushrooms. 
and it's this ancient um, Mazatec ceremony, and it, the film's beautiful, and the, the ritual that she, the ceremony that she conducts for these people is incredible. I mean, the amount of specificity and work she does with each person to help them move whatever their issues, you know, the whole thing. It's, it's really unbelievable. So anyway, so they do this Q&A after this beautiful film. All anybody wants to talk about is the mushrooms. No one asks anything about the ritual, about the shaman. It's as if everybody believes all I need is a handful of mushrooms and I can do this in my living room. You know, it was just yeah. offensive to, to, to not recognize there were three things going on there. There was this woman and her, her cultivation of her relationship with the spirits that she was working with. There's the mushrooms, and in your case, the ayahuasca, that, that is, a, is a spirit and a teacher and, in ayahuasca's case, a healer in and of itself. But then there's this ritual and the ceremony that, that, that moves the whole thing in a good way. And it's just... Um, Part of what I liked about your book is is that somehow, you know, I mean, it's not like you were a scholar of entheogens and shamanism, you know, <laughs> but somehow you're a regular guy and you got the fact that that you couldn't just do this in your living room. No, absolutely. And you know, you're absolutely right there. I, I'm, you know, shamanic expert uh, uh, and you know, I am just a, an ordinary guy. But I did have a very profound respect, and, and I learned this through the experience of you know, these shamanic uh, settings and um, people, the people that are, 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 are that deliver them are so um, strong in terms of you know their history and tradition. I mean, these are these are ancient rituals, and they quite quite. They know what they're doing, you know, they know what to do. It's pure South American genius. And it's only now because of the internet, I believe, that, you know, and, and through good people like yourself, that, you know, we're able to to share these experiences so and make them more widely known so other people become aware of the power of the combination that you've been talking about, you know, the ritual, the, the setting, the, the, the shamanic... Um, uh, uh, master that's actually delivering the, uh, the, the the ceremony, as well as the entheogen itself. And 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 you know, from a shamanic perspective, just for people that aren't familiar with the word entheogen, it's it's considered kind of a more uh, compassionate word for um, hallucinogen or psychedelic, which have kind of a 1960s, 70s kind of flare to them but anyway but the, but the point is you know from a shamanic perspective all plants have spirit but these particular plants have this capacity when they are ingested to to in many ways almost you know it, uh, forcefully in the sense i mean more directly you know bring us to that state of oneness and connection with all things you know one way or another so that we experience that and that's kind of unique to this group of plants it's interesting how many of them are mushrooms but anyway <laughs> yeah. um, so so this term entheogen you know um, entheos referring to the indwelling inspiration or divinity and and gen is just substance so it's talking about a substance that 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 when we ingest it it takes us there and what we gain from that experience of course is depends on who we are and what's going on but that's the point is these particular plant medicines 
have have a genius within them um so they are masters in and of themselves and need to be respected um and with that um especially with ayahuasca i I, my own experience is that there's also a great healing wisdom for us so i'm kind of curious as you as you shifted to the other things that you were there looking at for yourself which is more the issues that we drag from childhood that are unresolved and that live in this kind of crazy land between our heart and our head and the beliefs that we hold and what we've inherited and and really the desire in our own life to to be who we are to to freely be who we are so how how did it how did the ayahuasca sort of come into that whole dynamic of you and your childhood and your desire to reconcile things from the past well i mean it, when i was in in the shamanic ceremony I, I you know i had this uh kind of routine that i would do before the power of the brew kind of kicked in but, you know, after 30 minutes or so and i'd have this kind of gratitude list and and so I'd go through, you know, all the things I was as grateful for you know, over and over and, and add new things each time. And that was a good way to, you know, settle into the experience as, as the visions, you know, kind of came on and started, uh, you know, erupting the way they do in a kind of kaleidoscopic way. And, um, you know, the, the intentions that I had were about, you know, reconciling problems I had with, you know, um, uh, you know my parents, um, you know, Firstly, with 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 my with the, the men that were my fathers, um, a, a one who was you know particularly um, I had a lot of conflict with in terms of you know physical conflict uh, you know when I was very young, and and also you know reconciling um, the the things that happened between my mother and I and you know my mother and I you know we love each other very deeply you know and we get on brilliantly, but um, I just found it really, really helpful uh, to to kind of go back and and um, have this uh, visionary kind of brew influence those memories, so that then you come back with uh, you know with a different sense of you know how you are in the world, and you know it it, it really had a, a good great effect on my ego, and you know. Because I did, you know, think to myself, you know, one of the things that I was pondering for quite a while down there was, you know, how do you how do you know when your ego is balanced and healthy? And uh, luckily, you know, we can combine the intentions that you have with uh, with the experience you have with the ceremonies, with the um, you know, the conversations you have the next day in terms of the evaluation of the ceremony through. Um, you know the, the people that are running the retreat centres, and uh, you know I, 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 I made reference to um, one of the guys that had started the first centre, and he was really good to talk to, uh, and he made me uh, or enabled me to make peace with quite a lot of stuff. And then there was another guy called um, Mikis who'd run the second retreat, which was the Mythic Voyage, uh, and this guy was just on a whole new level of. Uh, intelligence. I mean, I've met a lot of clever people. Um, I've worked for a number of 
companies that you know HQ in Silicon Valley, and this guy was just off the charts intelligent. He was always on point, no matter how much ayahuasca he consumed. He had an answer for everything, and he just seemed so wise. You know, he seemed like a a cross between Deepak Chopra and uh, an Eckhart Tolle. You know, uh, and uh, you know, with a bit of um, big beefy Orson Welles thrown in, and and so he. <laughs> He was a he was a guy that was just able to um, uh, let me have consultations with him for half an hour or an hour or so after each ceremony, and we talk about you know my past and my problems and and you know you just wouldn't ordinarily have these experience and he would relate that back to you know um, how you know, my inherited beliefs and the beliefs that I've carried forward in my life as a consequence of my experience are impacting, you know, my happiness. And when I say my, I mean, you know, this analogy could be used for anybody. And his philosophy was that, you know, the most precious things we have are, are, are you know, are, are, are happiness. And we should always try and choose a route to be happy. And the, the key word being there is choice. And so I really didn't have any experience up until I met this guy about the power of, of the word, you know, of, of choice and and he believed you know quite um quite uh, uh in an also an unorthodox fashion that we are to, to coin his phrase self programming beings of choice that are choosing mm-hmm. our own future and you know so to be around a human being like that that with, with you know such a keen sharp intellect that was able to challenge my uh conceptions and preconceptions of why my state of mind was the way it was, was 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 like a revelation to tell you the truth. And it, I found it really cathartic and, and really healing. So do you feel that your experience is something that could translate to other veterans? Is this just unique to you or do you think that it is something that can be helpful for others? Well, yes, I do very strongly. I, I believe that, um, which is why you know I, I write about it um, in, in quite a bit of detail towards um, the end of the book, the psychedelic marine. Um, and, and of course, you know, I had this idea when I was down there. I was thinking, well, if it can enable me and empower me to go back and assimilate back with my family, because one of the you know one of the intentions that I had when I was down there is how can I come back from the war and just you know not be bored with the humdrum aspects of everyday life you know that was one of the intentions I had you know and I, and I was given the answer to that and just you know it, 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 in several different ways and I still carry that with me that inspiration to this very day and and so I had this powerful insight whilst I was there that you know if it can help me then why can't it help other guys that have got problems and I'm just not talking about you know, veterans that have been to, say, Iraq recently or, or Afghanistan and have got specifically diagnosed PTSD. But, you know, all people, uh, many, many people have, you know, traumatic incidents in their life and, and experience suffering. And so um, just to take it back to specifically around the, the vets, it turned out that, you know, the Americans were already way ahead of me. And I got back and I started, you know, sure enough, doing some research on the Internet and found a couple of clips on YouTube and there's a guy called um, Ryan Lecomte who'd already started a charity in America with the intention of taking uh, veterans from um, recent conflicts 
uh, from America that have been diagnosed with PTSD. Many of them have got um, you know, uh, bad addictions to prescribed SSRI uh, Prozac type pharmaceuticals that they, they couldn't get off, that were leading to you know, worse addictions than that. And they're on this downhill spiral and he was literally escorting them down to the jungle, immersing them in a sh shamanic ayahuasca ceremony with a, uh, a Shipipo um, uh, ayahuasquero kind of master. And they were having these transformational healing experiences that have always been there and they're for free as a consequence of this plant, simple plant potion or tea that you can just brew together uh, and it's available in abundance. And so I've managed to connect with Ryan and others like him. Another man in America is called Ian Benwee. Uh, he started a film and he's making a film now to do um, a similar kind of thing. The film is called From Shock to War. You can Google it. It's got an amazing um, movie poster and he's doing the same sort of thing. So I'm now linked up with these guys and um, that's really what I want to do. I, I just want to um, extend my commitment and support to bring an awareness that there, there is an alternative to these, um, you know, insidious pharmaceutical drugs that these guys get prescribed. You know, it's not just one. Some of the some of these poor blokes are on, you know, many many of these medications, and they're not doing the job. It's like a sticking plaster approach that that's really not getting to the root of the healing. And so, you know, people like Ryan now, who's who got this, uh, who's running and founded this. Um, uh, vets uh, charity, which is stands for Veterans for Entheogenic Therapy, by the way, so it's kind of a neat acronym there um, that fits very well. Um, so you know, he's now got you know a queue of people that are, are have been diagnosed with PTSD that um, are, are now you know, uh, ready in line to go down and and do the next um, few trips with him. And he's also managing to do them inside the United States as well. I couldn't tell you specifically where, but I think it's fantastic that he doesn't have to fly them all the way down to the jungle. And he's, he's by all accounts, having a very good, authentic healing experience with them in the USA. Wonderful. So I'm curious, though, how much do you think your, um, you know, your prior experience with the DMT sort of, created the context for your your healing I mean do you feel like you know maybe there will be some use prior to going to war well it's a controversial um idea but we love I that think... here on my shamanism <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure you do uh, god bless you yes i believe it i believe there's a place for these um psychedelic uh, plant um, healers and medicines um, in our society and you know it wasn't just the dmt experience that, that kind of opened up that doorway in my perception i had had um, experiences not quite as profound but still you know magical and wonderful with psilocybin mushrooms um, which you know grow all around us um, in abundance, uh, particularly in my part of the world, which is, you know, just fantastic. And so to, to make these um, plant teachers you know, illegal, as they've recently been made in, in the UK, as a consequence of the ridiculous, you know, war on drugs that we all know was you know, started by Nixon for, you know, completely ulterior, ulterior motives. Um, 
you know, these these the, the, these are gifts, and we should we should cherish them, and um, and and so that's why uh, you know I'm trying to bring awareness to get you know other men like me uh, to to stand up, and just have the courage to speak out about them because I believe they're really valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also wondering, you know, you, I don't know how much guidance you receive from others, but you do seem to have a really good natural instinct for um, approaching the experience with respect. So my, my Qigong master used to talk about the approach to the thing. So that the thing is, of course, the ceremony and, and the work, but that how we come to it kind of sets the stage for how we we enter the thing and he called it the approach and he used to say to mind your approach and to pay attention to how you kind of arrive. And so I've been listening to things that you've said, just as you've been telling your stories and I see your, you know, your gratitude list and, and your clarity of your intention and, you know, these different things that in my mind show you, um, you know, doing your half of the bargain, you know, you're doing your part of the work so that you can really meet the medicine. Um, yes. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and yeah, so you know, these, the, this whole approach is not for the faint hearted and it behooves anybody to do their research. And, and that's what I always recommend to everybody is to, you know, do your research. And there's kind of just a few simple things that you need to get right. But, you know, if you get any one of them wrong, then it could be the difference between, you know, a, a magical, ineffable spiritual experience to, you know, an unpleasant one. And, and, and the first one is what well, I've heard them before from you know, masters like, you know, Terence McKenna, who I used to listen to a lot, uh, you know, when, when I was younger. Um, and all of his stuff is, is on the Internet now, pr- pretty much. Um, but it's all about set and setting and getting the dose right, you know, common sense things. You're going to get your mindset in the right place. Um, you know, be in a comfortable, safe environment um, uh, where you're not going to be disturbed and you can have, you know, the full experience over several hours in an uninterrupted, peaceful setting uh, and the dose. And of course, you know, the shaman, they know what the dose is. You know, they've been doing this for centuries and they've got decades of personal experience. So, you know, you've got to apply that to any entheogen or any psychedelic i believe and you know another one is is really which i didn't know until you know halfway through the trip was you know relinquishing your sense of ego so you know if you can just do that for a while uh, and just surrender to um to what is happening then um the whole experience will be you know so much more precious and it'll feel so much more like a gift that um you know i, I would recommend you know that approach and I still do to, to anybody that involves themselves in these sort of things beautiful um, let's see here we're just really about out of time so um, what I think I'll do is I'll post um, the link for the vets um, on the Facebook page where the show recording will be so for posterity people can easily link up um, and Alex, I just I just want to thank you for for being for, for being willing to write your book and to speak out and to speak so graciously and compassionately about this interface of this, like you said, this ancient wisdom and genius and 
and and how if we come to it in a good way respectfully that um, it can really help us as contemporary people. So I want to acknowledge you for for your courage to to write the book, just to get get a book done in and of itself is worthy of congratulations. But to really speak out about this particular topic. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, I mean, the book the book was a, a labor of love. It was such an incredible, strange. Uh, adventure and it's it's split into two parts very clearly you know the first half is about Afghanistan and the second part is about the Amazon and, and reconciling those experiences and uh, it, it just came out of me very very quickly it took a, just a few months to write because the story was just um, just it, as it as it was occurring to me it just seemed so unbelievable you, you couldn't make it up uh, that's how I felt at the time <laughs> And so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the experience. Uh, I hope other people t- do too. And, you know, I, I'm not alone. I know that there's people like you um, and, and you know, thousands of others that are now having this um, epiphany and revelationary uh, experience with these plant medicines that are teachers that could really, really be a benefit to, to all mankind, particularly about what's going on in the world at the moment. We need to you know, raise our vibration, raise our sense of consciousness and compassion and empathy towards other people, um, you know, instead of the opposite, which is, you know, when I pick up a newspaper or turn on the TV is, is, is you know, what I'm seeing increasingly more and more of. So, you know, there's a there's a mission here to just, you know, evangelize about um, these gifts that are granted by, you know, places like the, the most, uh, you know, the largest rainforest on Earth. That have been there for thousands of years and are there free in abundance. Well, thank you, Alex. Thank you for joining us today and thank you for writing your book and thank you for the ongoing work that you're doing to to spread this message, which is really a message of hope and possibility for us being together here in a new way. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you and Alex. Much. Yeah, and Alex's book, The Psychedelic Marine, um, Alex Seymour, S-E-Y-M-O-U-R, is available at powells.com here in Oregon and at amazon.com. And uh, so let let me just take a minute and give thanks to the spirit of ayahuasca and all of the lives of all of the shamans who have tended this plant-spirit relationship well that we might engage with this in a good way here today. And I call out to our ancestral helping spirits to hear our thanks and our gratitude for their presence in our lives. We give gratitude to the earth below and the gifts and the abundance that flow forth from this beautiful planet. We give gratitude to the sky above and the radiant energies uh, that touch her with such love and grace. We give gratitude to these energies and the heart here in the center, us humans. We give gratitude to the heart that unites it all. Thank you, everyone. Have a good week.